0: This morning we are continuing our series on faith foundations, the the, um, foundations that underpin us and our journey of faith. Um, This morning is the final part of this series, um, The Cry. Throughout history we so often see the ebb and flow of difficulties and challenges and then the moments of celebration and peacetime. Yet today, in all of our lives, we only have to turn on the news to see so many new and complex situations unfolding all around us. Our interconnected world exposes us to a continuous stream of information, highlighting issues that range from global pandemics, environmental crisis, rising cost of living, political unrest, social iniquity, and alongside all of this, the personal struggles that we all face we can often be left feeling overwhelmed and disheartened. I know I can. If we allow it, these challenges can rock the very foundations of our faith. We live in a time in history where uncertainty, loneliness and hopelessness seem to be all around us. You can see it on the sh- if, As we walk down the high street, we can see that around us. I don't know about you, but everywhere I look, I see people that are desperate for real connection, for community, purpose and hope. We're not alone in being people of faith who face challenges. Throughout the scriptures, we see lots of people that faced incredible challenges. But we're still able to be faith-filled in the midst of them. It doesn't make it less challenging. It doesn't make it easy. But it does show us that it's possible. We have such an incredible hope in Jesus that both gives us a personal hope, but also allows us as the church, as SVC, to be a beacon of hope a lighthouse in the storms of life for people. But how do we find hope? How do we find resilience and purpose amidst the difficulties that surround us? And how can we bring us of hope to our communities? How do we respond to the cry of the hopeless and the fearful? Everything Jesus has done for us demands a response. Jesus gives us a command. And this command is the basis of a well-known and powerful story that we're going to look at this morning that Jesus told to illustrate how we live it out. But before we get stuck into that story, I want to spend a moment just exploring the hope that we have and what it means for us. Before we look at what that hope means for our entire community and world around us, our faith is both a personal faith, but it's also a community of faith. Yet when the world feels uncertain, when we're feeling a bit weighed down, Jesus emerges as the ultimate source of hope for us. His life and and teachings offer us peace and restoration, particularly to those who are broken and hurting, even in the middle of the difficulties. There's one particular verse that for me, personally, has brought me a lot of hope over the years. It's one in Matthew 11, 28 that illustrates Jesus's transformative power in bringing hope to a hurting world and it says this come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest to me this verse is so incredibly powerful because it's one of just a few verses that i think in just a few words encapsulates the whole of Jesus's message to us especially when our world feels shattered and heavy and at different times of my life, I can remember looking back at this verse um, and it for having particular significance. I can remember a particular time several years ago when I was overworked, overwhelmed, burning out, when this verse broke through that cloudy haze that I was feeling. In a moment in what I can only really describe as divine revelation, I realised that Jesus didn't come to earth to make me busy. He didn't come to work to make me stressed or overworked. He didn't come to the world for that. He came to give me rest. All that other stuff was largely the result of expectations and pressures I put on myself. And as we look at the verse, we can see that that promise of rest that Jesus brings can come even in the midst of busyness and chaos. Come to me, all you who are weary. Have you ever felt weary? I know I have. And as Jesus said these words, I'm sure many people who heard the words at the time of Jesus then, um, and those that hear these words today, understand exactly what re- weariness means. It's the weight of life struggles. Jesus' invitation to come to him isn't exclusive, it's extended to all who carry burdens of any kind. In a world where weariness seems to be quite normal, where busyness is often glorified and celebrated, as people burn out, where busyness is the norm, Jesus beckons us to approach him with our exhaustion, with our weariness and pain, and find peace. He's our refuge. He then goes on to say to those who are burdened, this feels even heavier than weariness. It encompasses not only that physical load that we feel, but the emotional and spiritual load too. Jesus knows that we have so many different things that we carry. Perhaps broken relationships, unspoken hurts, the pressures we face. Maybe the pressure to be a good spouse, a good parent. The pressure to never fail or make a mistake. Jesus doesn't offer just temporary relief to these things. He provides a lasting solution. He promises transformation that touches every part of our lives. Those pressures and burdens might not ever necessarily leave us But through the transforming of our mind and through the love of Jesus, we can find healing and peace. To those who are weary and burdened, Jesus says he will give you rest. Jesus doesn't just empathize with our struggles. He doesn't just kind of say, there, there, I know how you feel. But he promises a deep abiding peace that goes beyond all circumstances. The circumstances might continue, but Jesus promises rest and peace in the midst of them it doesn't rely on a change in our external situation but it's rooted in our relationship with Jesus when our soul finds rest in Jesus hope springs forth even in the midst of that chaos he promises us renewal restoration a true balm for the broken heart matthew 11:28 really does capture the heart of Jesus's mission to offer hope, rest, and healing to a world grappling with brokenness. And extending his invitation, he is our answer. But as we come to him, we find not only solace and rest, but transformation that brings hope to every corner of our lives. For me, that's a really um, refreshing and refilling truth to hear. But having experienced that rest, what do we do? What do we do with this profound experience that many of us in this room have experienced? As followers of Jesus, we don't just receive his grace and love simply for our own comfort. Instead, we are entrusted with a responsibility that echoes at the very heart of Jesus' teachings. It's not enough to keep Jesus' peace and love for ourselves, but we're called to extend these life-changing gifts that we've had and been given to those around us, to our families, friends, colleagues, and communities. The very heart of Jesus's, of our mission lies in sharing the love and good news we've encountered. Last week, Julian emphasised in his message that our worship goes beyond the melodies of our songs. It's an expression that encompasses the whole of our lives, our thoughts, actions and interactions. Worship is manifest in the choices that we make to honour Jesus and the sacrifices we place at his feet. There's a particular passage that really does capture um, what Jesus would like to say to us about this and is a guiding light for our lives when Jesus responds to a crucial question. In Matthew 26, 30, 22, 36, it says, "'Teacher, what is the greatest command in the law?' And with incredible clarity, Jesus replied, "'Love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your mind,' This is the first and greatest command, and the second is like it love your neighbour as yourself. These words really do hold the key for us as to how we should live our lives. They outline the two foundational pillars on which our faith stands, the very foundations of what we believe to love God wholeheartedly and to love our neighbours as ourselves. They're intertwined, and they speak so much about the purposes that we have in our lives. Loving our neighbour as ourselves is an act that moves beyond a idea of love into tangible action. It's about extending a hand to those in need, sharing comforting words with the hurting and offering hope to the despairing. It's a demonstration of the love that Jesus has shown us. A love that sees beyond differences, prejudice and barriers. Jesus didn't limit his love to a select few and neither should we. Our love should radiate compassion and inclusiveness, reaching out to all, regardless of background and circumstance. This is the incredible love that we are called to demonstrate to those around us. Jesus taught a bit more about this um, in a parable that he shared in response to someone asking him, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's found in Luke 27, 35. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. The question came from an expert in law who sought to test him. The question was initially about eternal life, but Jesus redirected this expert to the very essence of God's command, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving one's neighbour as themselves. The expert then asked, well, who is my neighbour? And in response, Jesus shared a story that not only answered the question, but delves so deeply into the idea of loving a neighbour. The parable unfolds of a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho, falling victim to robbers, who leave him half dead. We're going to read that story together now. So it's in Luke 10:25, where Jesus, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three was a a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I'm sure if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard this story before. But this parable really challenges me to consider who I am in this story. For just a moment, I'd like to take a moment to step into the narrative and pause. Who are we most likely to respond like? The question prompted by this story isn't meant to condemn, but it's an invitation to growth and be transformed by Jesus. It invites us to align our actions with the principles of love, compassion, and selflessness that Jesus demonstrated to us. Principles that are, if we're honest, really hard to have all of the time. It encourages us to take a step back, Reassess our choices and make deliberate decisions to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a really broken, hurting world. In the parable, the passerby meets three characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Each one's response reflects not only their immediate actions, but also their underlying attitude. The priest and the Levite were both individuals with religious roles. They would have been really well regarded in society at the time. But they both encountered the injured man and choose to pass by on the other side. Their actions, or perhaps lack of, speak volumes about the tension, maybe, between ritualistic obedience and genuine compassion. It is easy to point fingers at their seeming indifference, but the truth is their choices do mirror aspects of human nature that we all grapple with. I know I have. I know that in my own life, there have been times where I felt too busy to pause, too busy to stop. There's definitely been times in my life when I have been driven by convenience rather than compassion. Are we, like the priest and Levite, sometimes driven by convenience? Just personal comfort, our schedules go above reaching out to those in need. Do we hesitate to engage because helping might disrupt our plans and challenge our routine? They're questions that are maybe worth asking when we're considering how we help those around us. On the other hand, the Samaritans' actions seek as a stark contrast to the religious leaders. He was a cultural outsider. For Jewish people, Samaritans were the worst kind of person to associate with, and it is that person that reached out to the Samaritan. The Jews would not have interacted with or respected him, but he responds with compassion, taking time and effort to care for the wounded traveller, The depth of his empathy saw beyond societal division, and he saw the shared humanity that connects each one of us. The Samaritan demonstrated the heart of the Father, which would have been a really uncomfortable thing for a Jewish person to hear. As we ponder the question, are we faced with our own decisions, we are faced with our own decisions and attitudes? Are we willing to cross divides to help those in need? Or are we content to stay within our comfort zone can we offer compassion even when it's inconvenient? Or do we allow our actions to be guided by our schedules and personal preferences? When we hear the story of the Good Samaritan, I can't help but be prompted to consider what passerby I'm most like most often. It challenges me to examine my heart, to see where my priorities lie, and to think about whether there's any bias that I hold. It also encourages me to acknowledge the time when I've fallen short of that. Perhaps it encourages you too as well. If we can assess our willingness to disrupt our lives for the sake of someone else's well-being, I think that's a really good thing to do. Again, it's not a condemning question, but it's an invitation to consider our own heart and align it with God's if it's got out of step. Ultimately, the question of what passerby are you in the story of the Good Samaritan is a call to action I want to be a person who chooses empathy over indifference, compassion over convenience, and love over self-interest. Every opportunity, every encounter is a chance to demonstrate the transformative power of Jesus' love, to be bearers of hope, and to reflect Jesus to those around us. How seriously do we take Jesus' command to love our neighbour and to share the hope that we have with them? The love demonstrated to us through Jesus is different from that easy, carefree, selfish love that we're sometimes taught about in society today. There are many things that this parable can teach us as to what it means to truly love. But there are three things that I would love to look at as we begin to come to the end of this series. The first is that love is inconvenient. The Good Samaritan's actions show us that love is anything but convenient. Love disrupts our schedules, it challenges our comfort zones, and it compels us to action. Whatever the relationship, regardless of who we are showing love to, whether a friend or a stranger, convenience isn't really an option. The Samaritan's commitment went beyond mere sentiment. He invested his time, resources, and effort in aiding a stranger in need. This selflessness speaks to a heart of loving our neighbors a love that puts others' well-being above our own convenience. Jesus has demonstrated this love to us in such an extravagant way. His sacrifice for us, dying on a cross, the ultimate act of love, was the furthest possible thing from convenience. Secondly, love is unbiased. In a society that's marked by divisions and prejudice, The Good Samaritan shattered cultural and religious boundaries. This was evident 2,000 years ago at the time of Jesus in his culture, but yet we could be discussing the society today in the same words. When we see prejudice, bias, racism, sexism, homophobia, all around us in our society today, we're called to live in a different way, to be unbiased in how and who we love. The Good Samaritans' love was unprejudiced. It transcended all differences. In the same way, our love should know no boundaries. We shouldn't exclude people. Our love should embrace everyone we encounter as our neighbor, worthy of compassion and care. Thirdly, love requires sacrifice. The Samaritan's love required sacrifice both in terms of resources and time. He invested in the well-being of the injured man, placing his own priorities and comfort aside. I don't know where the Samaritan was going that day, but he definitely didn't get there on time. Love demands that we give sacrificially, prioritising the needs of others over our own desires and plans. As we reflect on this parable, we find an invitation to embody the transformative love of the Good Samaritan, which is a parable for the transformative love of Jesus. We're prompted to move beyond theoretical ideas and notions of love into practical, tangible action that demonstrates God's love to those around us. It's an invitation to extend a helping hand to those in need, to cross the boundaries that divide us, and to sacrifice for the well being of all. As we share the hope in, we have in Jesus, we become ambassadors of His transforming love. It's a love that mends both broken hearts, provides peace and solace to those who are weary, and ignites the spark of possibility in seemingly impossible situations. As we embrace this mission, we echo Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations, all people. Imagine the impact of a community driven by selfless love where every single person is lifted up and no one is left behind. As we share the hope that's ignited within us, we become the threads in that massive tapestry of God's grand design for humanity. We have the absolute privilege of walking alongside others, imparting the message that there is a savior who offers rest, hope, weary to the weariness, and healing to the broken. So let us be intentional about moving beyond the confines of our own experiences and social circles, reaching out to our neighbors with the transformative hope we carry. Through acts of kindness, empathy, and genuine concern, we can demonstrate to those around us the beauty of Christ's love in action. Let us be living testimonies of the truth that indeed all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. As we share the hope that we have in Jesus with others, show those around us the incredible love of Jesus. We can be Jesus' hands and feet to those we meet. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me, um, and we're going to take a moment of reflection before we, Julian comes to lead us in communion. There's a, in the prophet Isaiah, there's a, there's a passage that creates this vivid picture of love in action. In Isaiah 58, God calls us to a transformative love that goes beyond rituals. It's the love that breaks chains of injustice, provides for the hungry, shelters the homeless, and restores lives. Our worship isn't limited just to songs. It's manifested in acts of justice and compassion. I'm going to read this um, passage from the message version of the Bible. And as I do, I would love if you would maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable, listen and reflect on the words. Listen for what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you as I read this passage. This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, and being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on. Your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong boned. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. As our series on faith foundations come to an end, let's remember our faith foundation isn't shaken by the challenges around us. Instead, we can be a foundation of hope for others. The Good Samaritan story reminds us that inconvenient love has the power to transform lives. Let's heed the cry of a world yearning for love and with God's strength, demonstrate compassion and healing to those around us. As we step into our communities, workplaces, families, let's carry this message of love, a love that thrives amidst inconvenience, bridges gaps and brings healing. Let's leave today with hearts aflame, ready to embrace the cry of the world and respond with a love that's unshakable, unbiased and sacrificial. Julian's now gonna come up and lead us in communion. But as we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love, your love that was it so incredibly inconvenient, but that is everything to us. We thank you that we can share too in that love and share your love with those around us. Help us to be carriers of your love and hope. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.